0: Good morning. This morning we're reading from Psalm 50, if you would like to follow along. The Mighty One, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes. He does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire around him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me, my faithful ones, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving, and perform your vows to the Most High, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. But to the wicked, God says, What right have you to recite my statutes, or take my covenant on your lips. For you hate discipline, and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you are pleased with him, and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free rein for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself, but now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Our God comes. He does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire. Around him, a mighty tempest. Ouch. Uh, Psalm 50 is different. Again, this is not a praise song. This is a divine oracle of judgment. This is like reading the ancient Hebrew prophets. This is like a fire and brimstone passage of Old Testament scripture. You notice that? So if you're not a Christian, if you if you are... Uh, If you are undecided about Christianity and the God of the Bible, or if you are very much decided against Christianity and the God of the Bible, I'm glad that we are exploring this together today and that you're a part of that, because Psalm 50, in a unique way of all the Psalms, it answers a common question or objection that people have about this God that's described in the Bible is God angry? It addresses that question. Is God angry? Now, the short answer is yes. He's angry because of what we've done to the world, because of what we've done and still do to one another. The short answer is yes. But anger is not God's heart. Anger is not his heart. And I'm picking up that concept from Dane Ortland's recent book, a wonderful book called Gentle and Lowly, about Jesus' heart towards sufferers and sinners. And he says in that book, at one particular point, that anger does not describe God at his heart, at his essence. Even a good mother loves her children gets angry with them. At times, it may seem like she's angry all the time. Yeah, even I got an amen on that one. But a good mother's heart is that she loves her kids and that love for them is what moves her at times to anger So in a similar way, to understand God's anger, you must first understand his love or his anger does not make sense. And as we talk about that today, I want to talk about how God is just. He demands justice for our sins and for the wrongs we've done to his beautiful creation and his beautiful creatures. God is just. And God is merciful. He is merciful. He abounds in mercy to us. And finally, I want to talk about how God is committed to being merciful. He is just and he is merciful. And in a very important way, God is committed to remaining merciful with us. Now, God is just. He is for real. He is watching what we do. He is listening to what we say, and he will respond. God gathers all the earth together as you read the beginning of Psalm 50. He says, come together, heavens, and come together, earth. He gathers everyone. For what? A party? Is he having some kind of a dedication service? No. He's gathering the heavens and the earth together for a trial. This is courtroom language. What does it say in verse 4? He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may what? Judge his people. The heavens and the earth, God calls together as witnesses to a trial. And his own people, Israel, is the accused. Look at verse 7. Hear, O oh my people, and I will speak. O oh Israel, I will testify against you. Wow, Lord, why are you bringing all the nations in together to beautiful Jerusalem? What? What? Oh, oh, you've got something against us. Hmm. So this is a courtroom, and God is the judge, and the heavens and the earth are witnesses, and the accused is Israel, his people. Now, why is God angry, and what does he hold against his very own people? Look at verse 8. He says, not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. Okay, so it wasn't because they were somehow neglecting their ritualistic and religious responsibilities. In fact, God spends several verses of this psalm explaining that that wasn't his primary need or desire. He's like, look, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I'm not like these other Canaanite gods. I don't need to be fed. I don't need to be coerced or manipulated. I can get whatever I need, and I don't need to tell you what I need. God's issue is not that they weren't being responsible for their rituals and their observances. This gives you a clue as why God is angry. Look at verses 14 and 15. He says to them, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I'll deliver you and you shall glorify me. The actual ancient Hebrew expression for offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving was something like this sacrifice thanksgiving to God. Not sacrifice your bulls to God, sacrifice thanks to God. You're laying a bull on the altar. I want you to lay a thankful heart on the altar. He's charging them for ungratefulness. And he's charging them for not trusting him. Their lack of thankfulness and their lack of faith equals a lack of relationship. That's what he's upset about. They had a religious spirit. Their hearts were for their religion, not for him. Kind of like a child who does the chores not because she loves her parents, but because she wants to keep her privileges, right? So a difference between doing your chores faithfully because you love your parents and doing your chores because you don't want to lose the Xbox or you don't want to lose the keys to the car, And God is saying, your religion is not about me. And he was angry. Service without relationship. But he's angry with a different type of person in Israel. Let's keep going. God was angry with other people, not so much for a religious spirit, but for a rebellious spirit. Look at verses 16 and 17, but to the wicked, God says, what right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. Here, the word discipline does not refer to circumstantial suffering, getting sick, losing a loved one, losing all your money, all your friends turn their back on you and betray you, like what so much of the Psalms are about, circumstantial suffering. And you know, in certain places it says God disciplines those he loves. That's not the kind of discipline that Psalm 50 is talking about. The word here for discipline, it means instruction. It's the word you see at the beginning, the beginning of the book of Proverbs when we hear these words, fools despise wisdom and instruction." That's the word here. God is saying, you don't want to learn from me. You don't want to listen to me and what I have to say. You are seeking success and not wisdom, which means that what? If they're seeking for success and not for wisdom, it means they're going to lower their ethical standards, as people always do when it's about getting ahead and not being a true holistic person. And so he says to them over several verses, look, you lie, you cheat, you indulge yourselves for pleasure, and you approve of this and other people because you think I don't care. Look at verse 21. He says, you thought that I was one like yourself. You don't care, so you think that I don't care, but I do care. So God is angry with two types of people here. He's angry with the religious type and he's angry with the rebellious type. And when you really think about it, that's everybody. That's the whole world. That's the whole room. All of us in one way or another are either struggling with a rebellious spirit or struggling with a religious spirit for the wrong reasons. Some people serve God, but they don't love him. And some people avoid God, but they don't fear him. They're not worried about him. They think he doesn't know and he doesn't care. As Jesus beautifully illustrates in maybe one of his most famous parables, the lost son, the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. Little homework for you this week. Read Luke 15 and the parable of the prodigal son. And Jesus illustrates two boys, a loving father with two boys and one is a prodigal and one is a dutiful servant. Some of us are prodigal sons, we run from God, and some of us are older brothers who serve him, but not out of love, out of a sense of duty and obligation. Some of us run in rebellion from God, and some of us serve him religiously, but not out of love, out of a sense of duty. And a just God who wants relationship, pronounces judgment on both. Now, this whole idea plays into our current skepticism as a culture, our distrust of the Bible's God. He's angry. And we go, well, we don't want a God like that. We can't believe that a God like that, a God of anger exists Because our culture is all about, as John Lennon helped us on our way 40 years ago, all you need is love. 50 years ago, wow. We're all about all you need is love. And so an angry God has no place. But is that all? When you look at Psalm 50, is it simply that God is angry? Of course not. He's merciful. God is so merciful that he will do everything to avoid our destruction. Abounding in steadfast love and mercy, the Old Testament says. He is so merciful that he will do anything to avoid pouring out his justice upon us. Psalm 50 closes with a word of hope. You have all this anger and all this doom and gloom in the courtroom by the judge of the earth. And then it ends with these words in verse 23, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. And you see in a way he's addressing both types of people there, right? He talks about the the sacrifice of thanksgiving, and then he talks, and this is kind of like a wisdom literature idea, ordering your way rightly. And he says to both people, both people groups, if you love me and if you listen to me, I'll save you. It's like like God is angry, but he doesn't want to stay angry. He can't help himself. He puts this on the end of the psalm okay, well, well, listen, listen, I'm really ticked off, but he can't help himself. As another Psalm says so beautifully, Psalm 30, his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. So here's a practical step that you can take in your journey with Jesus with the God of the Bible, or if you're struggling to believe or you're not sure you're a Christian, here's another step you can take towards understanding Christianity and the Bible better. Commit yourself to better understanding the heart of God. It's kind of like with these famous people, right? You, you read the headlines and you think one thing and then you read their, you read their biography and you go, oh, I didn't, you know, the, the newspaper headlines were not enough to understanding this person. They're so much more complex and nuanced and interesting. Well, wow, I have some sympathy now for this individual, okay? Commit yourself to better understanding the heart of God, who he truly is. The heart of God is not for punishment, but for mercy. Not for anger, but for compassion. I mentioned this earlier. Again, uh, Dane Ortland, the pastor and author in the Midwest, uh, Dane Ortland describes God's justice by borrowing terminology from the Puritans like uh, Thomas Goodwin and Jonathan Edwards, who talked about God's justice as his strange work, meaning it doesn't come natural to him to be angry and to punish, and describe God's mercy and compassion as his natural work, what he truly loves to do, the heart of who he is, his essence, that his justice is his strange work, but his mercy is his natural work. And Ortland uses, in order to illustrate this perfectly, he uses, uh, he compares Lamentations chapter three with Jeremiah chapter 32. And then here, here's an example. So in Lamentations three, where Jeremiah is devastated at the destruction of Jerusalem, God is, God is punishing Jerusalem for its centuries of sin and rebellion. But God says through Jeremiah, though he caused grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. And then listen to this, for he does not afflict from his heart. And then in the same, in the same period, in the, uh, the prophet Jer- uh, Jeremiah chapter 32, listen to this, I will rejoice, God says, I will rejoice in doing them good and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness, listen to this, with all my heart and with all my soul. And so you see, when he is pronouncing judgment and punishment, it's not from his heart. But when he is pronouncing blessing and compassion, it's from his heart. And so Ortland sums that up by saying, The one who rules and ordains all things brings affliction into our lives with a certain divine reluctance. Something recoils within him in sending that affliction, the pain itself does not reflect his heart. His deepest heart is our merciful restoration. And in light of that, I am challenging you and inviting you to commit yourself to better understanding the heart of God. Do you think you know him? Commit yourself to knowing him more fully. To understand the heart of a God who will do everything to avoid your destruction. Who says to you, I really am ticked at what you've done, but that's not the end of it. Listen, there's a way. There's a way for you and me to be okay. You bristle at God's anger, it's hard, it's hard to swallow. We're ruffled by it, and we're angered by it, and we're even scared by the anger of God. But I'm telling you, it's because you have not embraced his love. Some of you know what it feels like to be neglected, especially as a small child or as a young person. Some of you know what it feels like to be undernourished by the people who should be providing for you, whether physically or emotionally. You know what it's like to be undernourished. You know what it's like to be overlooked. You know what it feels like to be unthought of. Sometimes neglect is more painful uh, than, 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 than other types of abuse because you're invisible, you feel invisible. To be ignored no matter how good or bad you are is dehumanizing. Do you really want a God who doesn't get angry? You want a, do you want a God who is not livid with the mess that humanity has made of the world? with the mess that we have made when you look at politics and you look at human history and look at what we do to one another and you look at starvation and you look at oppression and you look at crime and you look at deceit and embezzlement and you look at people tear each other apart, do you not want a, do you want a God who's not angry when he sees that taking place? I really don't think you do because a God that cannot get angry is a God who does not care. It's as if he's saying to you what he said to the Israelites in Psalm 50. You think I'm like you. You think I don't know how to handle my anger. You don't think I can hold my anger. You think I don't care because you don't care. You think I misunderstand people because you misunderstand them. You think I don't trust people because you don't trust them. I'm not like you, he says to us from the Psalms. A God who cannot get angry is a God who does not care. There are many reasons why we're frustrated with the world and our lives, right? You can think of a lot of reasons why you are ticked off at what's happening in this world. We've talked about them for the last two years. And there are many reasons I know why you are so frustrated and angry with how your life is going or how it's gone. And I sympathize with that. And God sympathizes with that. But have you stopped? When you're praying, when you're frustrated, have we stopped to consider what frustrates God? The next time you're angry and frustrated, stop for a second and say, now what is frustrating my heavenly father? What grieves him? Do we ever ask ourselves that question? Or are we primarily focused about what's making us angry? Well, here's one thing that makes him angry. He loves you. He's made, as our sister said earlier to the kids, He's made all of this, all of it, to the furthest galaxy as the universe continues to expand. He made it all for us. The stars in the heavens, blueberries, a sympathetic nervous system that does what it has to do without you telling it to do it. He's made it all for you because he loves you. But your religion is duty. Your religion is forced. Your religion is going through the motions, praying, reading your Bible, coming to church, volunteering, talking to your neighbor, giving to something. And he's saying, None of it is for me. It's stale. It's cold. And I hate it because all of this is for you, but you don't love me. You're going through the motions. That's one thing that makes him angry. And another thing that makes him angry is you talk and live your life and make decisions as though he doesn't exist. And that makes him sad, it makes him angry. Because you are refusing to be loved and you are refusing to be known by a God who created you for that very purpose, for a relationship. What angers God is that He is relational and we've made it transactional. But God is committed the end of the day, at the end of the song, he's committed. He's just, he's merciful, we don't want to deal with it, but he's committed. He uses the word in Psalm 50, covenant, right? Those who have made, my people who have made a a covenant of sacrifice with me, well, God keeps his covenant even when we break it. He is committed. Not only is he merciful Not only is his heart mercy and compassion and love, but he's committed to keeping that perspective with us. He is so committed that he's done everything to avoid your destruction. It's not just that he will do anything to avoid destroying you. He has done everything to avoid your destruction. There's a false theory out there. It's about 2,000 years old that the God of the Old Testament is angry and the God of the New Testament is loving. And it's, it's just totally untrue. And all you have to do to see that is look at Jesus of Nazareth because everything he did and everything he said not only lays the groundwork for all of the New Testament, but it beautifully resembles the God of the Old Testament. Jesus gets angry, but nobody remembers him for his anger. They remember him for his love and his mercy gentle, humble in heart, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, and yet Jesus could get ticked off. Jesus, God's son, spoke and acted just like the God of the Old Testament. And a beautiful picture of that can be found tucked away in Matthew's gospel in chapter 23, where... Uh, Jesus is, is, is pronouncing woes and judgment on the religious leaders who were all about their religion and had no heart for God. And he's just, you know, blistering one woe after another. Cursed are you, cursed are you. This is Jesus talking. He's incensed because they do all of this stuff, but they don't love his heavenly father. And at the end of that, he, he sums it up by saying, oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And and when you see God saying your name twice in the Bible, it's it's a term of endearment. It means He's speaking to somebody he loves intimately. And he says, Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you were not willing this is a mother's anger because she loves her children so much who will not respond to her in love just out of duty and fear. What drove Jesus to anger at this moment and when he entered the temple courts and made a whip to get people out of there because he was so angry for what they had done to his father's house when he stood at the tomb of Lazarus and not only wept in grief, but grunted like a racehorse at death. And I believe he was angry when he told Lazarus to come out. The Jesus that gets angry is a Jesus whose anger was driven by his compassion. He's angry because he hates death. He's angry because he hates sin. That's why he came to do away with these things. Because he loved you so much. And by committing yourself to Jesus, you will begin to understand the heart of God. A God who knows how to hold his anger in righteousness, something we don't do because there's a bigger picture for him. The end game is his compassion for us to woo us back to himself. Committing yourself to Jesus allows you to understand this God better who is, yes, angry, but full of compassion and mercy. Following Jesus, you're entrusting yourself to learn from a man who endured the wrath of God and the anger of God so that it would be satisfied so that you wouldn't have to endure it. God's just anger absorbed by Jesus so that his faithfulness and compassion and mercy could be ours. So the Christian alone, only the Christian, only the Christ follower, only the God lover can truthfully say, God's not angry with me. Not anymore. Only the Christian can say that. So I hope and pray that you will consider the heart of God, a heart of love and mercy and compassion, to understand his anger, his just and very good anger, you must understand and eventually embrace his love. Some of the people in this room are, are prodigal children who are running, or that's your bent. You run, you believe he's not there, you believe he doesn't care, you can believe you can do whatever you believe you can do whatever you want. And and some of us are older siblings doing the job, showing up on time, doing all that we need to do. And just kind of always angry and frustrated because we're not serving him with a heart of love. And what we discover, although God pronounces judgment on both in Psalm 50, Jesus pronounces forgiveness on both. Jesus says you have a heavenly father who says to all, whether, you're, whether you're a rebel at heart or whether you are a, a dutiful servant at heart. The compassion of God is for you. So read the prodigal son parable this week and read Psalm 50 and understand that God's anger is motivated by his love for you and begin from there. Let's pray. Father, we, we just kind of pause in the midst of all of these glorious psalms to to have to get a heart check here and remember that, that you do have emotions. That we are emotional beings because we are created in your image and you do get angry and you do have joy and you do grieve. Help us to understand you better. We confess that we only see in you what we want to see or what we have been preconditioned by our experiences to see and notice, forgive us for not seeing you completely. Forgive us for treating you like our parents who may have failed us or a teacher or a coach or a friend who deserted us. Forgive us for not seeing you as you truly are. Help us to draw close to your son who has reflected you perfectly. May we see in Jesus not only your just anger, but your abounding mercy, your desire to relate to us and make us whole again. Oh, Father, may we follow Jesus and run into your arms. Thank you for forgiving us. Amen.